Amen. All right, well, we're there in First Peter chapter number 2. And like we've been talking about this morning, we are starting a brand new series. And it's always good to be in church when you start a series. Hopefully that will encourage you to be faithful uh, over the next several weeks as we go through this series and you can learn with us about this subject. And we're starting a series called Peculiar People. And I want you to notice there in First Peter 2.9, you find this phrase of peculiar people. Sometimes he's referring to people, but he calls them a peculiar treasure throughout the Bible. And we'll see these phrases throughout Scripture as we go through this series. But 1 Peter 2.9 is probably the most famous uh, passage where you find this phrase. And notice what he says. It says this, but ye are a chosen generation. Talking about God's people. And, he's, and, and it's really the New Testament believers he's referring to here. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. And he says this, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that word peculiar, the definition of the word means uncommon or unusual. Being distinctive in nature or character from others. God says that He desires to have a people that are peculiar, not necessarily strange or odd or weird, but uncommon and unusual, not normal or not the norm, different from what the world has out there today. Now, what I want you to understand is that peculiar does not only mean different, but it also means better. And that's why in other passages we'll look at over the next several weeks, He calls them a peculiar treasure. He says it's a treasure that is better than other treasures. And God desires for my life and your life not only to be saved, but for our lives here on earth to be better. You're there in 1 Peter 2.9. Go with me to 3 John. If you're in 1 Peter, you're going to go past 2 Peter, past 1 John, 2 John, into the book of 3 John. And there's only one chapter in 3 John, but look at verse 1. 3 John 1, 1 says this, The elders unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now this is John writing a letter here to a, the, this man, an elder uh, named Gaius. Notice what he says to him in verse 2. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. I want you to notice there that John says to his friend here. He says that I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Sometimes as fundamental Baptists, we shy away from verses like these because of the uh, prosperity gospel today, the gospel of Joel Osteen and the gospel of a lot of TV preachers where they'll preach that once you get saved or you give your life to Christ that everything's going to be great for you and you're going to get healthy and wealthy and things are going to be good for you. And please understand this, we, don't, we do not believe in the prosperity gospel. The Bible does not teach a prosperity gospel. But with that said, God does desire for you to prosper and to be healthy. Now that doesn't mean that there will not be difficulty in your life. Go to the book of Daniel just real quickly with me. At the end of the Old Testament, you find the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, then you have Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then you have the book of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter number uh, 1. And let me say this, God's desires for your life to be successful. He desires for it to prosper. He desires 
for you to be healthy. Now, that does not mean that you will not have difficulty in life. And a great example of that is Daniel, which we're going to see here in a minute. But another example, which we won't look at, is Joseph. If you read the story of Joseph, and if you study the life of Joseph, you'll find that throughout the entire life of Joseph, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord made everything that Joseph did to prosper. But yet, while the Lord was with Joseph, and while the Lord was prospering Joseph, Joseph had people lie about him, Joseph had people betray him, Joseph had people uh, stab him in the back. So it's not that the life that God wants to give you, a successful life, a prosperous life, a blessed life, will mean that there is not difficulty in your life. And that is the lie of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, if you're broke, it must be because you're not right with God. If you're sick, it must be because you don't have enough faith. And that's not what the Bible teaches. But I do want you to understand this, that God does desire. God desires for your life to be better. See, salvation makes your life better, but salvation and sanctification should make a better life for you. Not only should your life get better because one day when you die, you won't go to hell, but you'll go to heaven when you die. But on this earth, God desires for you to live a better life. God desires for you to live what Jesus called the abundant life. Now, you're there in Daniel. Let me read for you out of John chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. It's a famous words from Jesus. He said this in John 10.10, 10, if you'd like to write the reference down. He said this, the thief cometh not, but to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, Jesus said, I came not just to give you salvation. He said, in other passages, he would say that he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But he also says, I am come that ye might have uh, it, have life, salvation, but that ye might have it more abundantly. And a lot of times people will argue, well, what does that mean uh, to have the abundant life? But I would submit to you this morning that the, uh, the, the, that the uh, context of the verse tells us And the contrast in the verse explains to us, you say, what is the opposite of the abundant Christian life? The opposite of the abundant Christian life is the life where the thief, and he's referring to Satan or the devil, where the thief will steal from you, will kill you, and will destroy you. He says, look... Satan has an agenda for your life. He wants to steal your happiness. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy, he says, he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage, your relationship. He said, this is what God, what, what Satan, the God of this world, has in store for you to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. See, God desires for you to live a better life. God desires for you to be a peculiar people, not not only separate, and we'll talk about being separate, not only sanctified, and we'll talk about being sanctified, but better. Are you there in Daniel chapter 1? Notice what the world, what Nebuchadnezzar said about Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter 1. Look at verse number 19. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found, notice what it says, and among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them, notice these words, he found them ten times better 
than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even to the first year of King Cyrus. You say, when Jesus said that I am come to give them life and that they might have it more abundantly, this would be what Nebuchadnezzar would say of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar would look at Daniel and at Mishael and at his friends and he would say, these guys have life just like everyone else, but their life is ten times better. It's the abundant life. And the question I have for you today, as we finish up the, 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 the year, the last Sunday of this year, and tomorrow being the last day of the year, could you honestly say that in your life, could you honestly say that others looking on the outside in would look at you and say, as a Christian, your marriage is ten times better than the marriages of the world. Your parenting is ten times better than the parenting of the world. Your health is ten times better than the health of the world. Your finances, your planning, your life, the way you're living, the things you're doing is ten times better. Could people say that? Would you say that? And if you say no, then here's the the thing. Why not? Because God desires, God wants, go to Psalms. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. God has placed some desires in your heart that he that he wants to accomplish in your life. And let me just develop this. I'm going to get into some real practical things here in a minute, but I want to develop this thought and help you understand what God wants for you. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, if you could go there. Psalm 37 and look at verse number 4. God would tell Jeremiah... He, he would say that, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. He said, I, I, I think good thoughts towards you. I have good expectations for you. In Psalm 37 and verse 4, notice what the Bible says. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Notice here that God says that he, that he, he refers to in the last part of that verse, he says, the desires of thine heart. Notice, uh, you're there in Psalm 37, go to Psalm 21. Look at verse 2. Psalm 21 and verse 2, he says this, Thou hast given him his heart's desire. Psalm 21 and verse 2. I want you to notice that phrase, his heart's desire. Now, I want to be real clear at this moment in the sermon and make sure you understand this. When the Bible says the desires of thine heart or his heart's desires, what's being referred to is God-given desires, desires that God has placed in your heart. These are not your personal desires of the heart. These are not your personal dreams or things that you'd like, but the things that God has placed there in your heart. Keep your place in Psalms. We're going to come back to the the book of Psalms throughout the entire sermon, so I want you to be able to get there quickly. But go to Jeremiah just real quickly. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here. In verse number 9, Jeremiah 17, and verse number 9, notice what the Bible says. If you're in Psalms, you're going to go past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the Bible says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So look, it's not the desires of of your heart, meaning that the ones that you have decided are what you want to do. Because if, if God gave you the desires that were just there carnally from yourself, it would destroy you. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
Because your heart would deceive you into thinking that there are certain things that are going to bring happiness and joy to your life. Your heart would deceive you into thinking that money, that, 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 that uh, alcohol, that drugs, that fornication, that those things are going to bring happiness. And all they're going to do is destroy your life because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when God says that he wants to give you the desires of your heart, the desires of your heart are God-given desires that when you got saved, God placed some things in your heart and in your mind. And here's the exciting part of that, is that God wants to give that to you. Go back to Psalm 37. Look at verse, uh, look at verse, uh, you know what, go to Psalm 145, just real quickly. We're going to go to Psalm 37 in a second, but go to Psalm 145, look at verse 19. I want you to notice the wording in these verses. Psalm 145 and verse 19, notice what he says. Psalm 145 and verse 19 says this, He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. Go to Psalm 20, look at verse 4. Psalm 20 and verse 4, notice what the Bible says. And look, isn't that exciting that God says, hey, there are some desires that you have, not sinful, wicked desires, some God-given desires, and God says, the Bible says, He will fulfill the desires of them that fear Him. Psalm 20 and verse 4, notice what he says. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. Referring to the fact that God is going to grant thee according to thine own heart. Go to Psalm 21 and verse 2. We already saw this verse, but let's look at it together. Psalm 21 and verse 2. Notice what it says. Thou, referring to God, has given him his heart's desire and has not withholding the request of his lips. Selah. God said, look, the, 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 the exciting thing is that God has placed some desires in your heart and God desires to give you those desires. Psalm 37 and verse 4. Uh, Psalm 37 verse 4. We saw it already, but let's look at it again. Notice what he says, Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, notice, and he shall give thee, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now notice, these are, sp- these, these are desires that are pleasing to God because how do you get the desires? How do you get God to give you the, the, the desires of thine heart when you delight thyself also in the Lord? So it's not covetous desires. It's not lustful desires. It's not sinful desires. They're God-given desires that God has placed there that God wants to grant, that God wants to give you. So then the question is this. So then why is it that so many of us are not living that life? We're living the life where the devil is stealing and killing and destroying. We're not living out the God-given desires of our heart. And look, there are some things in your heart that God has placed there, some things that God would like you to have and do, and there's nothing wrong. God wants you to have a happy marriage. God wants you to have godly children. God wants you to be in good health. God wants to take care of you financially. And the Bible talks about these things. But yet so many Christians today are not living that abundant Christian life when God says, I want to give it to you. But see, God will give it to you as you work towards it. And what I'd like to do this morning, and all of that, and I realized I was a little bit longer of an introduction, but all of that was an introduction to say this. This morning, what I would like to do is I'd like to give you five steps for achieving the God-given desires of your heart. I want to speak to you on the subject of how to get the God-given desires of your heart. Because as we come into this new year, I don't want you to live a defeated Christian life. 
I don't want you to live a life where you are not living the abundant Christian life. You say, God saved me. Jesus saved me. Praise God. But he also promised you an abundant life. He also promised that you could live a life that would be 10 times better than what the world offered you, 10 times better than what uh, the devil offered you, 10 times better than what your flesh offered you. And I want to give you just some real practical steps, five steps that will help you uh, achieve and get the God-given desires of your heart. Now, keep your place there in the Psalms because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But go with me to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number two. If you go backwards from Psalms, you're going to have the book of Job, Esther, and then the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter two. I'd like you to write these steps down. If you don't have a baby sitting on your lap, on the back of the course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. Five steps for getting the God-given desires of your heart. And maybe you should write on your paper five steps for getting the God-given desires of your heart in 2019. Step one, discern the current state of your life. Step one is to discern the current state of your life. And this may be the most difficult step to take. When I say discern, the word discern means to perceive by sight or some other sense or by intellect, to see to recognize and to apprehend, to distinguish mentally. The first step to getting the God-given desires of your heart is that you must take some time to discern, to perceive, to view, and to look at the current state of your life. What we're saying is that you must take some time to take inventory in your life. Are you there in Nehemiah chapter 2? I want you to notice that Nehemiah had a God-given desire. Something that God had placed in his, in his heart that God wanted him to accomplish. Notice verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11 says this. It says, so I, that's Nehemiah, came to Jerusalem. If you remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Uh, and, and he's been given uh, permission by the king to go back to Jerusalem. And notice what he says. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night and some uh, few men with me. Neither told I any man. Notice, don't miss this. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart. That's a God-given desire. What was Nehemiah's God-given desire? God had placed a desire. God had placed a burden. God had placed a a, a desire in his heart to, to help his people to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And here we see Nehemiah with this God-given desire. He says, I didn't tell anybody what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And let me say this. Oftentimes, the way that I discern is how serious people are about the God-given desires in their heart is how much time they keep it silent and in prayer. When people go around, they make a decision, and just within two minutes, they're telling everybody, hey, I'm going to do this, hey, I'm going to do this, hey, I'm going to do this, hey, I'm going to do this. I think to myself, man, I, I doubt you're actually going to do that. Because what I have found is the people who talk the most do the least. And the people who make a decision and they take time to pray about it. 
People who make a decision and maybe they come to their pastor privately or they come to their, uh, if it's a lady, come to their pastor's wife privately and say, would you uh, take some time to pray with, with me about this? Would you take some time to think about this with me? And, and, they, and this is what we see Nehemiah doing. He said, I didn't go around blabbing to everybody. Look what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a wall. Aren't I great? He said, look, I arose in the night. He said, I have some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And you say, well, what did Nehemiah do? What was the first thing he did with this God-given desire? Why don't you notice the first thing he did was he took inventory of the current situation. Look at verse 13. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dunk port. Notice, don't miss this. And viewed the walls of Jerusalem. He said, I took some time to perceive. I took some time to discern. I took some time to recognize. He said, God gave me a desire to rebuild the walls, but before I could rebuild the walls, I had to discern the current state of the walls. I viewed the walls, he says, uh, of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went out to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Verse 15, then went I up by, uh, in the night by the brook, notice, and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. So we see Nehemiah with his God-given desire to rebuild the wall. What does he do? He takes inventory of the current situation. And then what? Then he's brutally honest with himself and others. This is the hardest part. Look at verse 16. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Verse 17, then said I unto them. So he gathers everybody together. After he's taken time to take some inventory of his life, he gathers everyone together and he says, ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And here's what I want you to notice. Nehemiah did not sugarcoat it. Nehemiah did not minimize it. Nehemiah did not try to shift the blame or blame somebody else. He didn't try to say, well, no. He didn't try to say, like we learned in Ezekiel, the, our fathers have ate sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. He didn't say any of that. He said, look, ye see the distress that we are in. He took inventory, and he was brutally honest with himself and with others. How Jerusalem lieth ways, and how the gates thereof are burned with the fire. And here's all I want you to understand, is, is in 2019, if you want to live the abundant Christian life, if you want to achieve the desires that God has placed in your heart, if you want to live the life that God has called you to live, the first step is that you're going to have to just take some time and be brutally honest with yourself. Amen. And take some inventory of the major areas in your life. You say, what, what are the major areas in your life? Well, here, 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 here are the five major areas that I've identified in, in my life and in your life. Your life spiritually. You got to take some inventory of yourself spiritually. Are you right with God? Are you backslidden? Are, has there ever been a time in your life when you were more right with God, when you were doing more, when you were accomplishing more? And look, you've got to be honest with yourself because a lot of these things are sins of the heart that no one can see but you. Only you know if you are bitter towards your spouse. Only you know if you are bitter towards your pastor or your pastor's wife. Only you and your little clique of friends know if you've been given to the sin of gossip and the sin of slander. slander. Only you know those things. And you've just got to be honest with yourself. 
and, and identify and discern your life spiritually? How about your life physically? I mean, ask yourself, am I physically living the life that God has desired for me? Am I living the abundance? Is this what God desired for my life physically? Is my health right? Have I given myself to the sin of gluttony? And let me say this. Just because you're thin doesn't mean you're healthy. I'm thin, so you can drink three Cokes every day? I don't think so. You say, you pastor, now you're stepping on our feet. I like the whole part about the desires of your heart. Yeah, let me tell you how you get to the desires of your heart. You're brutally honest with yourself. You quit making excuses. You quit ignoring it. You quit looking at it. See, Nehemiah understood this. If I'm going to rebuild the walls, I need to know the current state of the walls. If I'm going to get my life healthy, I need to know the current state of my health. How about your life emotionally? Bitterness, depression, discouragement, anger, hatred. How about your life relationally? Some of you need to have a talk. Some of you need to have a talk before the year begins in about 48 hours. Some of you need to sit down with your wife or, or with your husband and have a real frank talk and say, ye see the distress that we are in. Ye see the distress that our marriage is in. Some of you parents need to have a real frank talk about the situation with your children and, and just identify it and, and be frank about it and say, ye see the distress that our children are in. We've made some mistakes. We've had some wrong choices. And, and, and we're not going to uh, ignore it anymore. We're not going to turn the, uh, a blind eye anymore. We're going to discern it and perceive it and be brutally honest. How about your life financially? I, I'm just telling you, look, if you want to live the abundant Christian life, you say, what's step one? Step one, discern your current state. Quit ignoring it and ask yourself, how am I doing spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, financially? Step two. So what's step one? Discern the current state of your life. Step two, develop a vision for what your life could be. Develop a vision for what your life could be. See, Nehemiah did not come to the people just with bad news. Seven, verse 17, Nehemiah 2.17. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. He didn't just say, hey, let me tell you how terrible things are and how bad everything was in 2018. Then he says this, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. See, some of you need to tell yourself, hey, financially I've been a mess, but we can build that up. Physically I've been a mess, but we can make that better. Relationally, we've been a mess, but let's work on it. Let's live. Let's get the God-given desires of our life. Go to Proverbs 29. If you kept your place in Psalms, it's right after Psalms. You have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 29. When you get to Proverbs, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says this. Proverbs 29, you know the verse, but let's look at it. Verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You say, Pastor, step one was to discern our current state. Step two is to develop a vision for how life could be. You say, how do I do that? You do it like this, you dream. You develop a vision. And you dream. 
What would my marriage look like if it was pleasing to God? What, what would my parenting look like if I was doing everything God called me to do? What would my finances look like if I was following all the biblical principles in regards to finances? What would my health look like? What would my relationship... You just take some time and you dream. You get a vision and you get a dream. Some of you need to take some time and dream for your kids. Don't just see them as a burden and as something that, oh man, I always have to take care of these kids. They're always needing something. Take some time and look at those children. Look, every once in a while, my wife and I uh, will stay up late on some night and we'll just dream about what our kids will do as adults and who they'll be as adults and not how much money they'll make, not what career they'll have, but we'll talk about who they'll be. That they'll be men and women of God that love the Lord. We dream about one day being able to ha have a relationship with our adult children and being able to uh, see their grandkids and, and take their grandkids and tell them, hey, you go, you go have some, a date night or you go on, on a weekend and let us take the grandkids. You, I, here's what I'm telling you. We just dream a little bit. You got to dream. You got to dream of what life could be. You got to dream of what life could be if you did not allow Satan to kill and to steal and to destroy. And let me just say this, if you're going to dream, dream big. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. If you're going to dream, dream big. If you're going to get a, get a vision, hey, get a, get a big vision. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says this, Now unto him that is able, now unto him that is able, now unto him that is able, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I don't know. I, you know, God said this. I think to myself, I can ask for a lot. I can think of a lot. But God says, you know what? I'm able to do exceeding abundantly above all. I love the word abundantly. It reminds me of the abundant Christian life. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You say, what's step two? Step one, discern your current state in life. Be brutally honest with yourself. Number two, develop a vision of what life could be, of what the abundant Christian life looks like, of what an abundant Christian husband or an abundant Christian wife or what an abundant Christian parent or what an abundant Christian teenager looks like. Step three, Go to, go, you're there in Ephesians, go to Philippians. Just one book over, Philippians. Step one, discern your current state in life. Step two, develop a vision of what life could be. Step three, derive effective goals for your vision, from your vision. Derive some effective goals from your vision. See, get a vision, get a dream, but then derive some goals from that dream. Then derive some goals from that vision. You say, well, I'm not really into goals. Well, look, the only reason you wouldn't be into goals is if you've arrived. I, I mean, you say, well, how, how dare you say that? Well, I didn't say it. Paul did. Philippians 3, look at verse 13. Now, look, Paul was probably one of the most successful Christians the world has ever known. And in his career, which was ministry, he was the most successful at it. It was given unto him a ministry of reconciliation and of dispersing the gospel, and, and he did a good job at it. I mean, if you are saved here this morning, you are saved because the Apostle Paul took the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Because the Apostle Paul started local New Testament churches throughout the Mediterranean and throughout the uh, Gentile world. Because the Apostle Paul not only got people saved, but got people connected in church, got them baptized, got them growing, got them discipled. And the Apostle Paul, who is going to be one of the greatest, mightiest Christians when we get to heaven that the world has ever known, he said this, Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know what he said? Here's what he said. I have not arrived. There are still things that I can work on. And if you sit there and say, well, I don't need any goals. Oh, okay, so you've apprehended? There's nothing you need to work on? There's nothing you need to get better at? Why don't we just worship you today? There's nothing. I mean, Paul said, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. And, And please understand this. The context is this. Because I have not found myself to have apprehended, because I have things that I still need to work on, things that I still need to do. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. And he says, for that reason, notice, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Notice verse 14, I press toward the mark. What's a mark? It's a target. What's a target? It's a goal. Paul said, I have not apprehended, so you know what? I'm living my life pressing towards a goal, a mark, a desire of the heart. Notice, not a fleshly one. Why? For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I press toward the mark. And please, please, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. You want to live the abundant Christian life? You want 2019 to be the greatest year of your life? Press toward the mark. Have a mark, have a target, have something you are living towards and trying to accomplish in your, in your life because goals give you a target to aim at in life. As a pastor, I see this so much, I see this so much. Well, people are just living their lives aimlessly through life. They, just, they, they get up and they go to work and they eat and they go to bed and they get up and they go to work and they eat and they go to bed and, you know, honestly, they get up and they go to work and they watch a whole lot of TV and they eat and they go to bed. They get up and they go to work. And it's like, what are you doing with your life? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? I'm not preaching at you. I'm asking you. What are you trying to accomplish with your life right now? And if you can't answer that question, there's a problem. You're not going to live the abundant Christian life. And you're not going to fulfill the desires that God has placed in your heart. So, discern your current state. Develop a vision for what life could be. And derive some effective goals from that vision. Now, I, I recently made a video about how to set up effective goals, so I don't want to take the time to preach that to you, but let me just, because uh, I'm sure many of you didn't hear that, let me just give you four steps for some effective goals in 2019. When we're talking about goals, here's four steps that you must take to have some effective goals. Number one, make it specific. Make it specific. Look, this is if you actually want to accomplish your goals. Because here's what I've learned is most people just want to talk about. Most people just want to talk about what they're going to do. Because here's what happens. When you tell people what you're going to do, it doesn't matter if you actually do it. You get the credibility right then and there. So when I go and tell somebody, this year, you may not believe this, brother, but this year I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover 30 times. And people, oh, wow, he must be the most spiritual guy I know. 
doesn't matter if I actually read it 30 times. This is why Nehemiah kept his mouth shut. This is why Nehemiah planned silently, prayed silently. But if you, if you actually want to accomplish something, not just tell people you're accomplishing something, here's how you do it. Make it specific. Don't go into the new year. I like to use the example of weight loss because it's something that we can all understand real clearly, and it's uh, something that many people go into the new year wanting to do. But don't look. Let me just help you out. If you go into the new year saying, in 2019, I'm going to lose weight, let me just tell you right now, you're going to fail. You will fail because that's not specific. Make it specific. How many pounds do you want to lose in 2019? Well, Pastor, I don't want to talk about that. That's brutal. I know. Step one. That would actually require me getting on a scale. I know. Step one. That, that, that makes me uncomfortable. I know. But if you want to live the abundant Christian life, that's what you'll do. So how many pounds do you want to lose in 2019? Make it specific. Not only that, make it time sensitive. Make it time sensitive. Don't just say, I want to lose. Oh, okay, Pastor, fine. I want to lose 20 pounds in 2019. Okay, when? Well, sometime in 2019. No, you won't. That's why you didn't hit your goal last year. See, there is something about giving yourself a time frame. There is something about giving yourself a deadline. There is something about giving yourself and saying, not only am I going to lose 20 pounds in 2019 or 30 pounds or 50 pounds or 10 pounds or whatever it is that you need, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do seven pounds in the first quarter. I'm going to do 15 pounds by the middle of the year. See, make it specific, but make it time sensitive. Give yourself a deadline. Give yourself something to press toward. Number three, make it measurable. Make it measurable. You have to be able to measure. If you're going to lose weight, you got, you got, to, you got to get on the scale and you got to track that thing. You need to be able to ask yourself, am I winning? Am I on track? Am I going to accomplish? And then I would say this, write it down. There is something powerful about the written word. Think about this. God gave us his word in a book. And if I were you, I'd write it down. I'd put it somewhere where I see it on a regular basis. That way it'll remind you. It'll keep you concentrated. It'll keep you purposeful as you press toward the mark. But look, develop some effective goals from that vision. Dream a little, but don't just dream Make some effective goals. Make it specific. Make it time sensitive. Make it measurable. Write it down. Step four. We're talking about how to get your God-given desires. Step one, discern your current state of your life. Step two, develop a vision for what life could be. Step three, derive some effective goals. Step four, devise a plan for achieving your goals. Devise a plan for achieving your goals. Go back to Proverbs. Proverbs 16, look at verse 9. Proverbs 16 and verse 9 says this. A man's heart devises his way. A man's heart devises his way. The word devise means to contrive, to plan, to elaborate, to imagine, to suppose. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directed his steps. Here's what the verse is telling us. It's saying this. When you devise, God will direct. When you devise, a man's heart devises his ways, but the Lord directeth his steps. When you devise, God will direct. Here's another way of saying it. When you plan, God will prosper. When you plan, God will prosper. See, we're all waiting on God prospering. 
God's waiting on us to plan. God wants you to take that vision and turn it into an effective goal and then devise a plan to reach that goal. See, it's not enough to go into 2019 saying, I'm going to get a better job. I'm going to move out to a good church. I'm going to, I, Pastor Romero often says this, you know, people are often telling him, they're telling me, they're telling people, you know, oh, we're going to move to a good church. Here's, here's a question for you. Okay, when? When? Well, look, you need to make it specific. Which church? When, well, one day I'm going to move to one of the new IP church. You never move anywhere. Make it specific. Make it time sensitive. Measure it. Write it down. And make a plan. You say, how do I make a plan? Let me give you two steps for making a plan. Two steps for making a plan to achieve your goals, all right? Write down everything that you need to do to achieve the goal. Write down everything that you need to do to achieve the goal. And then put everything that you need to do in order of sequence. So everything I need to do and when I need to do it. I know that this is real practical. And some of you are like, Pastor, I just want the preaching. And what about the sodomites? <laughs> I don't like this. But this is what you need. Write down everything you need to do to accomplish your goal and then put it in an order. Look, I'm not telling you anything that I don't practice here. You can ask Brother Oliver. We spend all day, Brother Oliver and I spend all day Friday writing down the goals we have for this year, the things that need to, that we want to do, and then just writing goal, things down. What do we need to do to do it? What needs to be accomplished to do it? What, need, what needs to be done for us to do it? And then we put it in the order that it needs to be done. You say, what are you creating? We're creating checklists. On the first week of January, we need to do this. On the second week of January, we need to do this. On the third week of January, I'm talking about, I, I, I'm talking about things you don't even think about. People have to say, Pat, Pat, Pastor Jimenez, I came to the Red Hot Preaching Conference. Man, this place is so organized and this place is so planned out. All the events are on point. That didn't just happen. We didn't just wake up one day and, oh, look, a conference. We had a conference. Uh, I wasn't even aware. No, no, months and months and months and months in advance, we began to write down what needs to be accomplished, who needs to be invited, when do we need to buy the tickets, when do we need to reserve the hotels, when do we need to get the catering, when do we need to do this and that. We made a list, and then we put it in sequence. I'm just telling you, this is how successful people live their lives. And if you think, if you think, people say, well, how do you guys, the married couple, sweetheart banquet, and this and that, and that banquet, and this event, and that event, and I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how we do it either, but I, I, we do our best to get ahead of it. And look, in your life, you say, I need to, I need to save some money. You're never going to save some money if you don't decide, okay, how much do you need to save? Let me just help you. How much do you need to save? By when? And how are you going to do it? What needs to happen in your life for you to reach your goal, and when do you need to do it? I'm going to move. Okay, well, what needs to happen? Well, I need to put the house on sale. I need to clean the backyard. I need to do I'm just saying, make a list. And then put it in order. I don't care what, what it is. Whatever your desire is, whatever the desire God put in your heart, if it's to lose weight, if it's to fix your marriage, if it's to, to, to get, up, uh, get out of debt, if it's to get a better job. Some people say to me, oh, I, I, I need to get a better job. Okay, what does that mean? When? When do you need to have a better job by? Why don't you write that down? By June of 2019, I want, I'm going to have a better job. Okay, what do you need to do to get there? Do you need to take some classes? Do you need to read some books? Do you need to get some training? 
No, I'm just going to talk about having a better job. Okay, then you'll be in the same loser job next year. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to help you. What do you need to do? When do you need to do it? Put it in order. Make a list. Get it done. Look, God wants to help. And here's what I promise you. Here's what I promise you. If you begin to plan and if you begin to work, if you uh, devise in your heart a plan, the Lord will direct your steps. He will help you. He will prosper you. He will guide you. When you devise, God will direct. When you plan, he will prosper. Why doesn't God prosper me? Because you're not planning anything. Because you're not doing anything. God's in heaven. No, God, bless me. And God's like, bless what? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? Step one, discern the current state of your life. Step two, develop a vision for what your life could be. Step three, derive effective goals from your vision. Step four, devise a plan to achieve your goals. Step five. Step five, discipline yourself to work your plan. Discipline yourself to work your plan. Proverbs 14. I told you step one is the hardest. Step five is the second hardest. Step two, three, and four, that can be done in a day. Step two, three, and four, that can be done in a couple of days, in a week. That can be done before the new year. Step one takes a little bit of courage, and step five is going to take a whole lot of character. Discipline yourself to work your plan. Proverbs 14 and verse 23. Proverbs 14 and verse 23 says this, In all labor there is profit. In all labor there is profit, but the talk, here's your talkers, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to punery. That word means extreme poverty. I would stop talking about everything I want to do, and I would start writing everything I want to do into a plan, into a sequence. You say, what do I do then? Discipline yourself to work your plan. Look, it's this simple. Plan your work, work your plan. Plan your work, work your plan. Go back to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. You have to discipline yourself. You have to learn to deny your flesh. You, Paul, Paul said it this way. He said, but I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. This is where the, goal, the written goals come in. This is where the written goals come in, where you put it. Look, I've got a, a paper that I have in my briefcase, in my Bible, something I look at every day, and it reminds me, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is what I'm trying to do in my life. This is what I'm trying to accomplish so that I don't start doing other things because there are so many things. There are so many distractions. There are so many other things you could do. They're not necessarily bad things, but they're not the best thing. Nehemiah, and we won't go there, but Nehemiah had the same thing when he started to build a wall and the enemies of the Lord said, hey, why don't you come have lunch with us? Hey, why don't you come have coffee with us? And he would say, hey, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. He said, I'm focused on achieving the God-given desire of my heart. So look, plan your work and work your plan. And let me just say this. Let me, let me say this, and we're, we're almost done, all right? I, we'll be done in like five minutes. When it comes to working your plans, you need to focus, you need to focus on, your, on your high result activities. And here's what I mean by that. And we've talked about this before, and this is not something new. This is not something that I come up with. 
I came up with. But there's the 80-20 rule. And the 80-20 rule really applies to every area of life. Honestly, even in churches, 80% of the pe- uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 80% of the people do a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> if, that's, if that's you, make a goal. <laughs> make a goal to get in the 20%. But look, in life in general, 20% of what you do, 20% of what you do will result in 80% of what needs to be accomplished. Now, that doesn't mean that other things don't need to get done. But you should be able to identify, and I've taken the time to do this in my life, and I would encourage you to do the same. Go through in your life and ask yourself, what is the 20% that, of things that I can do that would result in 80% of, the, of me achieving my goals? Not, not 100%. It's not the only thing I'm going to do. But if I do these things, the high result, the high impact activities, You need to identify the high-impact activities of your life and just decide, discipline yourself. I'm going to, if if I can't do anything else, I'm going to make sure I do those. And what I have found in my life is that for the major areas of your life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, there's probably three things. Doesn't the Bible say that a a three-fold cord is not quickly broken? There are probably three things that you can do in every one of those areas that'll mean that you'll be 80% successful in those areas. I know I'm talking in in generic terms. Let me just give you an example. In my life, you know, as a father, I'll use the example of a father. As a father, I have found that there are three, three activities. If I can do these three activities on a regular basis, I will probably have children that'll grow up and say, wow, my dad was a great dad. You say, well, I, I've just, this is what I've identified in my life. This is not what, I'm not telling you this is what you need to do. This is just what I've decided in my life. And my wife has lists like this for herself, and this is my list as a father. This is what I've figured out. If I can, on a regular basis, disciple my children, and what I mean by that is read the Bible to them in a, in a family Bible time setting where they hear their father, because their mom does this every day in school, but where they hear their father, read the Bible to them, and and teach it to them. If I can read the Bible to my children and teach them and instruct them in areas of life, if I can develop relationships with them, some of you watched that video we made about the jiu-jitsu and all that. Say, Pastor, are you really into jiu-jitsu? No, I'm just really into doing activities with my kids. If I can develop relationships and if I can discipline them properly, those are my high-impact activities. If I can make sure that I'm discipling, developing relationships, and disciplining them properly, look, there's a whole lot of other things that go into being a dad, but if I can do those three things, I'll probably be all right. I mean, in marriage, in marriage, there's lots of things. There's lots of things that go into marriage. But you know what I have found? I have found this. If I can give my wife daily concentrated time, around our house we have you know, what we call our coffee time. I work from home, so I have the ability to do this, but we'll have lunch together, and when we have lunch, the kids will be sent off somewhere to play. My wife will make some coffee, and we'll have coffee together, just 20 minutes or whatever. We'll have coffee, and we'll talk. We, we have couch time. At night, we put the kids to bed, and we just spend some time on the couch talking. Some, some of you husbands, your marriage would revolutionize 
if you would walk up to your wife and say, hey, you want to sit on the couch and talk? She's like, what? What? You know what, I, I found that if on a daily basis I can give my wife 20 minutes, it's usually a lot more than that, of just one-on-one conversation with an adult. Because you know these ladies, they spend all day, 12 hours a day, all, day, all their waking hours with five little kids. I, I have found that if I, can, if I can have a weekly date night where I take my wife away from the children, and sometimes we go on a date and have some, you know, whatever, romantic dinner at McDonald's. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> at, you know, Olive Garden. Sometimes we just go shopping just so she can get ahead on some of the things she needs to do. Sometimes we go shopping, you know, we go shopping for a Christmas event that she has going on here or whatever. But if I can just take her away from the kids and just help her. I've just found, there are usually just simple things. You say, Pastor, is that all you do as a husband? That's not all I do as a husband, but I've found that there's about 20% of things that if I can do those things, they're going to yield about 80% of results. As a pastor, look, there's lots of things that I do, but you know, I have to focus on my sermons. I have to focus on my pastoral care. I have to, and I'm not saying that I'm succeeding in all of it. I'm trying to get better. I am not apprehended. I'm, trying, I'm just telling you this. In your life, in every area of your life, you could probably identify one or two or three things. And these are your high-impact activities that if I did as a business owner, there are probably three things that if you did as a business owner, you'd be all right. doesn't mean that's all you do, but it means that you make sure those get done. And when you make a plan, focus on the high-impact activities. When you make a plan, focus on the things that are going to yield 80% of the results. Psalm 37, verse 4. We're done. Look at what it says. Psalm 37, verse 4. And please understand, look, I'm not getting up here and telling you I'm perfect and I've got it all put together because I don't. I am not apprehended. There are major areas in my life and things that I want to do in 2019 that I failed at in this year or that it could have been better this year and I'm trying to get better. Look, you say, Pastor, why do you preach these sermons? I realize that these are not the popular sermons. I get that. These are not the sermons that are going to get 5,000 views. I'm probably preaching a sermon about Gavin Newsom in the next week or so. And I am, uh, let me just tell you because I know how the game goes. It's going to get probably 2,000, 3,000 views if it doesn't get taken down by YouTube. This sermon won't. But you know what? This sermon will change your life if you apply it. If you don't just roll your eyes and say, ah, pastor. If you actually go home and take these steps and do them in your life. Psalm 37 and verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I'm not against the Gavin Newsom sermons. Don't misunderstand me. But we need a balance. Verse verse 5, notice, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Notice, and he shall bring it to pass. Here's what I'm telling you. God has put some desires in your heart. Not fleshly, covetous, worldly, lustful desires. Some real, genuine, Christ-honoring, God-honoring desires in your heart. And if you don't live those out, it will not be God's fault. Because he wants to give them to you. He wants you to live the abundant Christian life in 2019. But you need to get to work. So discern. 
develop some goals. Develop a vision, excuse me. Derive some goals. Devise a plan. And then discipline yourself. Discipline yourself to work your plan. And 12 months from now, you will be living a better life, which is what God desires for you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these great principles that we uh, get and learn from your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us. And, and honestly, Lord, if there's, if there's no one here that wants to take anything from the sermon, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would help me in 2019 to take these steps for my life. Lord, help me to just focus on the areas that you've given me of responsibility. And Lord, I do pray that you would help 2019 be the greatest year that this church has ever seen and that it would be the greatest year that individuals in this church have ever had. But Lord, help us to realize that it's not just going to come by wishing. We're going to have to get to work. And Lord, help us to go into this new year ready to work, to do better, to be better, and to live that victorious, abundant Christian life that you've promised us.